Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I have been obsessed with the U.S. versus China story for a couple of years now. I don't remember why or how it got on my radar, but man, I just I just suck up everything I can find about it. And uh, we talked to Josh Rogan a while back. This is something about COVID in China or something. Anyway, he's got a new book out, Chaos Under Heaven, Trump G in the Battle for the 21st Century. Josh Rogan is the global opinions columnist for the Washington Post. And, man, some great reviews. I just read the Wall Street re- uh, Journal review on this last night. Is one of the first great books on the, what is going to be the story for the next century or more, the U.S. versus China. Josh Rogan joins us. Josh, how are you, sir? Hey, guys. Great to be back with you. Um, just in general, the, the, my statement correct that this is maybe the biggest story in the world for the next century, U.S. versus China? Yes, not only is the U.S.-China uh, uh, relationship the most important bilateral relationship of our lifetime, that's increasingly obvious, it's also the biggest story for every country in the world, because every country in the world is now suffering through a coronavirus pandemic that originated in China. So there are 7 billion people who are suddenly quite aware of the fact that what happens in Beijing doesn't stay in Beijing, and that to some degree, and we can debate how much the actions and character of the Chinese Communist Party affect our lives, our national security, our public health, our prosperity in undeniable ways. So that's like an awakening that now is not just, you know, certain people. and certain, Everybody can agree on that. Now the question is, what do we do about it? Well, we know the answer to this question, but where do you stand on the issue of the origin of the coronavirus, the lab leak theory, uh, the rest of it? You know, i got to tell you, I I was the, one of the first reporters in April 2020 to publish about the still unproven but very plausible theory that the outbreak was related to a mistake of one of these Wuhan labs. And, you know, for over a year, I was just amazed that no one would talk about it, that people would talk about it, would get insulted and, and, and shouted down. And it was just crazy. And now here we are, 18 months after the outbreak, and there's still been no investigation. And my point is not that we know that it came from the lab. My point is we, we have to check it out. In other words, we can't rule it out, so we have to check it out. It seems like a pretty reasonable and obvious thing to say. It's always seemed that way to me. But now, all of a sudden, the mainstream media and uh, different parts of the government, including the Biden administration, are like, oh, wait a second. You're telling me that there are a bunch of bat coronaviruses next to the outbreak? We did check out those labs that had all the bat coronaviruses? That's crazy. We should check it out. So... I'm not saying we know it came from the lab. I'm just saying we should probably check it out. We do a lot of media criticism, and so we've talked a lot about the, you know, uh, whether it was uh, it was important to be anti-Trump and Trump was pushing the narrative or whatever it is in the media. But inside a government, that's what's fascinating to me. What was going on to your mind inside a government that was causing some scientists to ignore what seems like the most likely cause or to actively cover right. it up? I- and that's right. They absolutely did that. And they're, they're, it's really important because you're right. It wasn't just the media that wanted to sort of dismiss the lab leak theory because they couldn't, they didn't want Trump to be right about anything. You know, like even the broken clock is right twice a day. The guy was bound to be right about something, whether you like him or not. And the media just couldn't deal with that. But inside the government, you had a couple of things going on. One, you had the scientists who were the closest to the lab and who were collaborators with the Wuhan Institute of Virology and all these other bad coronavirus labs in China. Uh, calling it a conspiracy theory to cover their own butts because they didn't want anyone to look into the lab because that would mean that we were looking into them. 
In other words, the lab leak theory doesn't just implicate China. It implicates all of our scientific collaboration with China because we built those labs along with the French. We gave them this technology. We taught them how to play around with viruses, and then they built another part of the lab that they didn't tell us about, and no one was watching it. And that's why the lab leak theory is so sensitive to the scientific community in the U.S. because it implicates us. It implicates Fauci and Collins and all these guys who were doling out the money that is going to these Chinese labs that no one was paying attention to. And that relates to what was going on inside the government, because if you're the intelligence community, if you just think about it, the lab leak theory is true, well, then that's that's bad for them, too, because they missed it, because we spend $86 billion a year on intelligence stuff, and zero of it was pointed at this network of risky labs doing risky research that was funded by U.S. taxpayers. And that's pretty awful if that's true. And that's why, you, and then, of course, you know, the, some of the intelligence guys didn't like the Trump people, and they didn't want them to be right either. And, you know, the media trusted the scientists, and the intelligence guys trusted the same scientists. So it was like a perfect storm of BS. And by the time we started to figure it out, it was all too late. Uh, do you, are you willing to call it a cover-up? Absolutely. Well, there's several cover-ups. There's the, first and foremost, the Chinese Communist Party cover-up, which is not just about the origins, which is about everything. They covered up the scientists. They jailed the whistleblowers. Uh, you know, they jailed the journalists. They kept all of the science that they had away from the Internet. They continue to. To this day, they won't give us vital information that could help us in our response to this. Like how the information that they have while our citizens are getting sick and dying, not just us, people all over the world. That's the first cover-up. The second cover-up is the one by the American scientists uh, who are the friends of the lab, and that's all being revealed now in all these emails that are getting released. But we kind of knew it already. In other words, the scientists went around and they wrote all these papers in scientific journals that said, it's a conspiracy theory if you mention the lab. Right? Meanwhile, there were writing emails to each other which were like, hey, the lab might be involved, we should probably check it out. So they were telling us one thing and telling themselves a completely different thing. That's the nature of the deception. That's, the, that's another cover-up right there. You know what I mean? So there's two cover-ups. Right. What is it about the nature of communist systems that gives us a Chernobyl, that gives us a, an outbreak of the coronavirus? That's a, really, that's a really good question because this sort of relates to the overall theme of the book, right, which is that what we're dealing with here is a, a party state that uh, has no moral compunction, that will stoop to any level, do anything to protect its own political interests, which it places above everything else. So in other words, what we have to understand is that, first of all, the Chinese Communist Party is not looking out for us, for certainly, right? They're also not looking out necessarily for the Chinese people or even China's nation. They're looking out for the party. That means protecting the party. That means they will even subject their own people to horrendous suffering to protect the party. That's how you get a cover-up like this. That's how you could have a worldwide pandemic, and they're just like, you know what, screw you. We're not going to tell you anything. What are you going to do about it? That's their attitude, right, which is shocking and horrible, right? The other thing it tells you is that, you know, when, the, when they're setting up all of these engagements with us, whether it be scientific engagement or academic or political or trade, they're thinking about how the, to weaponize those engagements against us. So that means like Fauci and Collins and all these scientists who are like, how could these Chinese researchers do something bad? They're just trying to do research and we're trying to save, save the world. And, you know, that how they wouldn't do that. 
what what these American scientists don't realize is that in their system, in the CCP system, the scientists don't get to make those decisions. It's all controlled by the party, and the party will do anything, including let billions of people get sick and die, if they think it's in their political interest for the time being, and that's exactly what happens. The book is Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, G and the Battle for the 21st Century. We're talking with Josh Rogan, who's a, a global opinions columnist for the Washington Post. So you think... The big mistake was our scientists trusted the Chinese? Not only did we trust, we didn't verify. It's one thing to have a collaboration. It's another thing to let it just grow into a $200 million network of labs that no one's watching, not the intelligence community, not the scientists, not the government. And, of course, they took that technology and built another side of the lab with their military. That's what we now know. That's not a Trump administration claim alone. That's what the Biden administration confirmed. We, we built up a huge virus research industry in China, and they took it, and then they built another side of the lab, the side we didn't know about, with their military to do God knows what. Okay, And, and that's, that's a perfect recipe for a disaster. And, you know, yeah, I could say that, like, you know, the American scientists, maybe they truly believe that their Chinese scientist friends uh, – wouldn't do that to them, but then they're horrendously naive. God, I say. When the the pandemic hit, it was all the people who understood China who knew knew what the score was. And it was the national security people who really understood the nature of the CCP who looked at their actions and said, of course they're lying, of course they're hiding stuff, because that's what they did in the SARS epidemic 12 years or 20 years prior. They just did it again. The problem was the first time it only killed 8,000 people. This time it killed 3.5 million and counting. When we come back with Josh Rogan, uh, we want to talk uh, more specifically about the battle for the 21st century, uh, chaos under heaven, Trump, she, and the battle for the 21st century being the title of the book, and, and how interesting it is and notable that that, that break, that pivot to open rivalry uh, took place during the Trump administration of all time. So, Josh, if you can hang on, we, uh, we're going to get right back to it in moments. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty Show. If you missed our first segment with Josh Rogan about his book, Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, G, and the Battle for the 21st Century, go to the podcast at armstrongandgetty.com because we got in specifically to a lot of the uh, the coronavirus and the origins and the cover-up, not just by China, but by our own damn scientists as to how this whole thing started, which is really, really troubling. Josh, I don't know if you're familiar with the book Hundred Year Marathon by Pillsbury. We've uh, we've talked about that sure. a, a b- book a lot. And um, his argument, and he was with the, the 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 Nixon administration, is going back to Nixon opening China. China has been playing us this entire time, and we thought, no, 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 this is good news. But they they knew what they were doing all along. Did Trump, in his unique way, uh, did he open the eyes of people in America and to the world of what China is really up to? Do you think? I think the administration uh, did a lot of that work, and it was really important. Of course, they, it wasn't all good. Some of it they did uh, in a pretty chaotic way. That's why my book is called Chaos Under Heaven. But, yeah, I know the book 100-Year Marathon, and I, Pillsbury is in the in my book, too. And, you know, the bottom line is that, you know, we had this 40-year, 50-year bet that if we just engaged the Chinese Communist Party as much as possible and integrated them into our system as much as possible, that they would liberalize and become more like us, first economically and then 
politically, and that would solve all of our problems if we could avoid, avoid the Cold War and all that. Uh, and whether or not you think that was a good bet or a bad bet, Pillsbury thinks it was a bad bet. Other people say that was a reasonable bet to make that time. My view is it doesn't really matter. Now we just have to realize that the bet has failed. Not because we weren't nice about it, not because we weren't good intentions, but because China decided to go another way. And especially since Xi Jinping came to power, they're taking China in the opposite direction. And they're becoming less liberal and more repressive and more aggressive. And, and then they're also interfering in our free and open societies. And we can't have that. And so now, whether or not you think it was good or bad bet, we have to realize that the bet's over and we have to have a new strategic response. And I think you, that's what you see the Biden administration actually saying very clearly. And that doesn't mean we're doing it, but at least we're saying it, which is the, the first thing. So th- that pivot from frenemies to openly rivals, it was going to happen. It had to happen. Was there something about Trump and his personality that, that it accelerated the timetable? Absolutely. You know, the thing about the Trump administration is that they didn't care about, you know, what were sort of like the rules of Washington and that those rules of Washington constrained U.S.-China policy for all this time because the China issue was run by the the China experts, and they're the ones who got us largely into this mess in the first place. So it just opens the Overton window of what was possible inside the government. And then, uh, of course, there were a lot of competitions, and not everybody inside the Trump administration agreed on China. You know, people like uh, Mike Pompeo and Steve Mnuchin totally disagreed, but the point is that all of new things, all of these new things, were on the table, and so all of a sudden you started to see confronting China in our schools and in our capital markets and even in Hollywood and in the tech industry. And I'm not saying it all went perfectly. I'm just saying that all of those options were now at least being explored, and now uh, the Biden administration is trying to sift through them to see which parts of the Trump-China policy they want to keep and they want to discard it. And they're actually keeping a lot more than you would have thought, right? If that's, that should be a sign, you know, that the Biden people who are like hate all the Trump stuff in all the other countries, they hate the Trump, you know, Russia approach, they hate the Trump-Iran approach, but on China, they're basically continuing most of it. Uh, that means uh, they probably saw a lot of it in, in there that was uh, pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty interesting that for all the talk in the media and, you know, on the campaign trail about how awful Trump's approach was, the tariffs are still in place. A lot of the stuff's still in place um, this far into Biden's presidency. Um, where oh, I just keep thinking that the, the, the break is going to come with U.S. businesses in China, and it's inevitable, too. Like Joe said, it was inevitable we went from frenemies to enemies. At what point do does the NBA, does Apple, does everybody just have to stop doing business with China? Do you think that's coming? Yeah, no, I think the business community is still split because I think and I think the fight over this inside the Biden administration is still coming. Like they haven't appointed a lot of the people in like Treasury and these places. Those are the people who are going to push back and say, no, 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 no. We just got to get rid of the tariffs and go back to business to avoid the Cold War, whatever nonsense they're going to come up with. And so I think in the business community, you first of all, have the companies that are corporate hostages, right, like the Apples and the NBA, and they they know they've got a problem. Right. They're making money in China, but for how long? You know, and the squeeze is, is on. You know what I mean? So I think we should actually help those companies not get bullied around by the CCP. Uh, then the, on the other side, there's the financial services companies, which are pushing for more engagement because they uh, have a corrupt interest in, in getting out of this cold war thing. So if you look at the Goldman Sachs's and the Bloomberg Barclays and the MSCI and the Morgan Stanley's of the world, uh, they're pumping money into China and taking Chinese money hand over fist because 
uh, they're pushing back against this realization that we're in this competition. Uh, so I think that's a, that's a problem, actually, a problem that we have to be really clear-eyed about. Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's going to be like, you know, decoupling with China is going to be like giving up meth, heroin, and smoking all on the same <laughs> week. I mean, it's going to be an enormous disruption. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you have so many American elites on both sides of the aisle who are thoroughly compromised, who are corrupted, who are making money on both ends and have an interest in telling us that their national security threat is fake and that it's all just, you know, Mike Pompeo, Donald Trump, Cold War nonsense. But, you know, to them, I would say, well, then you have to accuse the Biden administration of being part of that, too, because uh, they're saying that the threat is real. They're saying that we have to have some limited decoupling, not total decoupling, but some limited decoupling to protect ourselves so that, you know, the next time the Chinese Communist Party gets mad about a tweet, the entire NBA doesn't suffer or the next time that there's a pandemic, that they don't have all their masks, all the masks in the world that they hang over our heads to tell us to shut up about the origin of the coronavirus, which hey, is exactly what happened. Josh, I want to jam in one more question. Your book is Chaos Under Hub and Trump, Xi, and the Battle for the 21st Century. This is short. Is it inevitable that China, China took Hong Kong? Are they going to take, take Taiwan? We nothing's have 20 inevitable, seconds. But the, nothing's inevitable, but the threat is rising. And what I say is that the best way to ensure their aggression is to do nothing and that their appetite grows with the eating. And we've seen that appeasement doesn't work. So if we don't, if we want to avoid them taking Taiwan, then we have to stand up for Taiwan now. We have to do that now. We have to support Taiwan more Interesting. now. And I hope the Biden administration will do that soon. Hey, Josh, thanks for your time. The great book, Chaos Under Heaven, Trump, She and the Battle for the 21st Century. We hope to have you on again. That was good stuff right there. Yeah, thanks a million. Wow, great conversation. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. A sandwich they have in Great Britain that we don't have in the United States, and I'm jealous. Stay tuned. What? Stay tuned. I'll have one today. Who's uh, who is Matt Pottinger? Somebody look that up. That's something important. Is he the guy in the uh, State Department who's blowing the whistle? Well, we'll look. Former it up. Deputy National Security Advisor of the United States. Okay. For some reason, he's being grilled by Senator Wicker today. Asked why China is building up its navy, Matt Pottinger said the objective is to take back Taiwan. Uh, which is getting some attention. We just asked Josh Rogan about that in his book, uh, Chaos Under Heaven. Under Heaven, yes. Um, if you didn't uh, catch that conversation, go to armstrongandgetty.com, all about China and everything like that. Some people bothered by the term, we got to quit using the term take back Taiwan, because people say that all the time, and that insinuates that China ever had Taiwan, or the, 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 that the... the, the People's Republic of China or the mm-hmm. Chinese Communist Party ever had Taiwan. They didn't. And if, if it's set up as they're taking back something that once belonged to them, more of the world might go along with it. No, it's just conquest. It's just taking over a country. Yeah. Yeah. And language matters, man. I was yeah. just reading a piece about that. Quote Norwell's uh, great book on uh, language and politics. And and the left is so good at that. You know, this is obviously not a right left thing, except, well, the communists. But, but they but. have no more right to, to Taiwan than they do to Australia or Hawaii. So come on now. Let's, let's, let's not say take back. Right. Right. Meanwhile, on domestic shores, uh, boy, do we have a race problem in the U.S. 
part of that long conversation I had with my son about a bunch of stuff, including politics, we, we agreed that there are forces on the right and the left who think they can whip up hurricanes and then use that energy to, to achieve their, their gains. And they forget that hurricanes wipe out houses or towns and kill people and the rest of it. Um, and, uh, you know, whether you want to look at the QAnon thing on the right or the whipping up of race hatred to take power on the left, Here's an exhibit for you. <clears throat> Did you know? I guess this story isn't as hot as it used to be, or maybe I've just missed it. They've had violent protests um, at the risk of being hired by CNN. Not entirely violent, mostly peaceful, but they've had giant protests in Minneapolis for three straight nights. Uh, or had, the, you know, over the weekend. Night after and, night? <clears throat> that's night right. after night. And it was over the shooting of one Winston Smith, who was fatally shot by police outside a parking garage. They were attempting to serve a felony warrant on the guy, and he pulled out a gun and opened fire on police. And they returned fire and killed him. But that is enough to get days of, of protests and, and some violence and uh, and graffiti and, and all sorts of stuff. Um if the cops can't return fire against somebody who's shooting at them, then what are they supposed to do? But the whole Black Lives Matter uh, crowd was uh, on hand saying that the cops were in the wrong and the rest of it. Uh, fires lit, stores looted, dozens of protesters arrested, etc. That's crazy. Meanwhile, and when we're supposed to be having an honest talk about race, authorities in L.A., county metro system, there's been a series of beatings of Asian riders in L.A. I'm reading this long account from KTLA, and they never mention until you watch all the videos that they have, because the, the cars are monitored, that all of the attackers are black. Beating Asian people. Now, so uh, we didn't... only an idiot or a racist would use that as some sort of indictment of all, all people of dark skin. That right. would be idiotic. That's but, not the point at all. But there is an indictment being made of all people of white skin that it's white supremacy and Trump supporters that is causing the uh, the attacks on Asians. And we didn't get into that with Josh Rogan, but I've heard him say on another podcast that Trump inflamed the situation with China by calling it the China virus, and it led to all these attacks on Asians. Ah, I don't think any of the black people attacking Asians has anything to do with anything Trump said. Not, not probably. Um, but at any rate, nobody seems to have the the any interest in in and even asking the question, "What's going on there?" Well, it certainly oh. isn't white supremacy. That no. I'm positive of. Yeah, we have plenty of listeners, including law enforcement in the Oakland, California area, who uh, have tipped us off to this and said, "Guys, it's not a bunch of MAGA hat guys beating the Asian people." Not at all, not even close. So if you want to have an honest discussion about racism, because all races feel racism toward a variety of other places, and the idea that only white people can be racist is so freaking stupid and ignorant and blind to the realities on Earth, you can't believe anybody would hold that opinion, much less college professors and such. But, of course, some of them actually believe it, but a lot of them just understand that it's a way to to gain power. Do you want to have an honest conversation about sandwiches? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, with every fiber of them. Uh, first of all, did I mention we're living in a post-sneaker world? I came across that three different times yesterday in various style things. It's funny how that works. I suppose somebody made that decision, and so every style column and every big publication went with the 
post-sneaker world? The non-sneaker company that put out that press release probably had that as the ah, header and mm. copy-paste. Hey, look, now we got a web post. Now I've Are got an you article. saying news organizations merely copy and paste news releases, Sean? Press what, releases? What's following the sneaker world? And you got to admit, sneakers are more, you know, people wearing suits with tennis shoes is a thing that wasn't a couple of years ago. Um, loafers. Loafers are going to replace tennis shoes. So there you go, if you care. Um, to the that same- means we are going from a more athletic uh, country to a more loafer country, then, <laughs> then it's my time to thrive. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know what? This Honestly, is your time. I've never loafed in loafers. Loafers were named loafers when everybody was wearing wingtips. Nobody loafs in loafers. They're not a loafing shoe at all. They're a going-to-work shoe. Boo! Boo! <laughs> Um, so Tim Sandifer tweeted this out in July 4th, 19 or 1776. Our ancestors spared us from this. I disagree with him. It has come to our attention that in the United Kingdom, there's a popular sandwich, which is only bread and potato chips, (laughs) which sounds awesome to me. And I will have one today. That sounds terrible. That's no sandwich. I'm with Tim on this. Huh? It's practically just bread and bread. Now, I'm going to, because I uh, care about my brands, it will be Wonder Bread with Lay's potato chips, but I'm going to have <laughs> one of those today. That sounds freaking awesome. That's, are you eight years old? That's a, that's an obscenity. The body's a temple. Read the good book. It says it right there. My, the Bible. The Bible. My, that's right, sir. Mine's not. You want to see it? It's not. <laughs> it's just not. Now, oh. the, the purpose of the sandwich, like, if you want to eat meat, like, you can't really eat meat with your hands because you'll, you'll, you'll get all uh, slimy hand. You'll get meat on your hand, right? Right, so you, the so Earl of Sandwich, et cetera, et cetera. So we all know the, the term. Right. I don't understand. Like, what are you accomplishing by putting potato chips in bread? That's like, a decent point, actually. Yeah, you can just prosecution. You can just eat a chip with your hands. You're right. right. No bread. extra utensils. Yeah. I eat a little bag of potato chips at least once a day. Mm. Yeah. So my mm. body is not a temple. <laughs> you know my favorite sandwich. The taco. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. The hot dog. I, I don't remember. Did the, did the courts rule that a taco is a sandwich or isn't a sandwich? I can't remember. <laughs> and if they ruled that it wasn't, they were wrong. Because there was a zoning issue. Somebody had a sandwich shop, and there was only allowed one sandwich shop in the strip mall. Somebody opened a taco place. He sued, saying it's another sandwich shop. The taco guy said, a taco's not a sandwich. A taco is clearly a sandwich. A it's got <laughs> bread on either side of the meat. It just happens to have a little flap of bread with uh, joining the two uh, other flaps together. I've got, I've got to do the experiment finally, because I've been saying this for years, every time we have this argument. If you ask a bunch of people in a room, you're watching a football game, anybody want a sandwich? And they say yes. And you come back with tacos. You're going to tell me nobody's going to say a word about that. Oh, Thanks you so gonna... just mindlessly go along with the majority, Lemming. Do you? Great, fine. Anybody want a sandwich? I'll take a sandwich. Me too. And I come back with a plate of tacos. Nobody's even going to mention it. They're going to say thanks for the sandwich. Uh, delicious sandwich, Jack. Thanks. <laughs> hey, I'm blazing my own trail around here. You know, I'm detecting the hint of racism. It's funny that a hot a, dog... A Mexican sandwich can't be a real sandwich. Wow, listen to the racists. It's funny that a hot dog isn't more clearly a sandwich because it is really... I mean, it's bread with meat in between it. I mean, it's you can't get more sandwichy than that, but for some reason, it's its own thing. Man, I had a Hebrew National extra large the other day, one of the big ones. The, the term tube steak was never more accurately applied. That is a serious dog for serious times. Su- that was a meal. That was in support of Netanyahu. 
<laughs> sure, sure. So you throw a little solidarity. Solidarity. So, um, uh, what major political issue in America has now above fifty percent support among all political groups for the first time ever? Kind of interesting. Let you know where you fit in with the rest of the the national views on things. Among other things, we can hit you with next. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Just quickly put a button. Okay. Do you have any plans to visit the border? I, at some point, you know, I, we are going to the border. We've been to the border. So you, this whole, this whole, this whole thing about the border. We've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't understand the point that you're making. She is terrible at being a politician. Now, in Kamala Harris's defense, and you may never ever hear me say this again, because mm. I cannot stand her, but that whole question of you, you haven't been, hasn't even been to the border yet. I've always thought that is just moronic. The idea that if a politician goes to the border or, you know, to Ohio to the car plant or whatever, that all of a sudden they have special <laughs> insight on what's going on. Th- I think it's a have. good idea to go. I don't. I. I think it's a good idea to go, and I think it's odd that she hasn't. Uh, it's not completely necessary. I mean, if she has, she met with the head of the border patrol, for instance, or that I don't know. And, and if if I were her, well, that's why I said she's a terrible politician. If I were her, I would have said more or less what I've just said. Look, I have been talking with the head of the border border patrol. I'm in, in contact with the sheriffs in local counties every single day. Um, you know, at some point I will go to the border, but it is not keeping me from having every bit of information I need to have about the blah, 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 blah. Yeah, um, that, that's actually a decent defense. I, I might still disagree, but it's a good defense. I'm not sure the moving heaven and earth with the Secret Service and everything else to go stand there along the border and then give a speech does anybody any good. Oh, no, that's a complete waste of time. But to actually talk to those local sheriffs, some of the local landowners, uh, you know, it's some of the people who've discovered the children on their, their land, I, th- I think it helps. I mean, somebody can describe something all day long, but I, there's just, there, you fill in a lot of blanks you don't even know you have since when the, you immerse yourself in something. Since the Biden administration is so big on the... Um, you know, kind of the typical do things the way politicians do. It is surprising to me that they didn't immediately send her to the border. She looks around like this and then goes to a podium and gives a speech about the border as if she right. has some special insight now that she's been there. Even if it was dumb, it would remove that as an issue, mm-hmm. which you'd think it'd be worth doing. But I don't think it's dumb at all. I think she's dumb. <laughs> oh. Come on now. Oh, oh, I had a political issue I wanted to tell you about. So for the first time, we're over 50%. For every party on one particular issue, and that issue is gay marriage. Uh, Dems, 83% support gay marriage. Independents, 73%. And now Republicans, 55%. First time a majority of Republicans have agreed that uh, gay marriage, same-sex marriage, should be recognized by law. So that issue, well, it's been over for a long time, but it's now officially over. Yeah, there's some thought on the the right, and and I think it is correct, 
that a lot of the more out there transgender activist issues that are going on right now are a desperate attempt to keep the coalition of, uh, you know, the LGBT crowd together as a political force. You have to vote Democrat still. You always are a Democrat. You must vote as a block because of this new issue that we're fighting for. Because the, the gay marriage thing is over. I mean, it's way, way, way over. Yeah, even among- the whole, you know, discrimination against gays. Who would? Who has the time? Forget it. You're all great. Everybody loves you. <laughs> who has the time to discriminate against someone who's gay? <laughs> right. right. Um, um, it's just there's, there's hardly an issue. Obviously, a young, among young people hugely popular gay marriage but even for people 55 plus it's 60 percent are okay with same-sex marriage so yeah that issue is 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 dead as a uh, lincoln yeah i have a friend is that, who's is a, is that uh, an expression I, I shouldn't use that as an expression. Uh, it's, I won't there's that. probably a better expression <laughs> where's the lie <laughs> <laughs> but there you're right there probably is a better expression yeah sean with his millennial lack of respect for our first 16 to 18 presidents. We're keeping him alive by mentioning him. Exactly. Dead as disco. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's got That's alliteration. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hey, speaking of uh, agreement, there is a big bipartisan train rolling down the tracks in Washington, D.C., which will actually affect your life. It's big news, but because there's no conflict and they can't really put work Trump into it, nobody's talking about it. Both sides of the aisle making uh, are in favor of making big changes for retirement savings. Hmm. The whole 401k thing. Hmm. Uh, now, know, that's how an much... issue that affects everyone. Right, right. But there's no fight, fight, fight. And there's no Trump said this. So th- th- it's just being ignored. Older people could contribute more to their retirement savings. Part-time workers could find it easier to build retirement accounts. Small businesses will get help. Excuse me. Uh, small businesses will get help offering employees retirement accounts, and Congress is moving deliberately, but in a bipartisan fashion, to craft legislation would do all that and more. I- I've got to admit, I've long resented and thought it was awful that the government limits to really a very small amount what you can save for your own retirement tax-free. You know, if they want to have the laws that if you touch this before uh, retirement, their interest and penalty or taxes and penalties or whatever, that's fine. Okay, I understand that because you can't have people defrauding the tax man by claiming it's for retirement. But the idea that no, 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 you can only save seven thousand dollars a year and not a penny more. Well, wait a minute. Doesn't that result in more of the populace being dependent on the government when they retire? Right. Why would you have that limit? What about the retirement age? Are they talking about changing that at all? Is that involved uh, they, in this? Please make it to my not, age. Do you want it to be your age? <laughs> 40-year-olds can retire. Slacker doofus. <laughs> uh, no, they don't mention that at all uh, here in the, uh, the McClatchy <laughs> outlet I'm reading this from. But I will dig a little more uh, into this. Because it's a big story. It affects all of us. I'm in favor of it. Again, I resent the the previous laws, but at least it sounds like they're making them better. One of the aspects of this you might find interesting is that uh, 401k would become an opt-out as opposed to an opt-in. You get a job, you're enrolled in 401k unless you fill out a form that says take me out of it. It's a little paternal, but I like it. I think think way more young people would get in earlier and it'd be good for them. And it would and yield a population even... that's not as dependent yep. on the redistribution of income. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's you know it's a bit of a 
a bit of an ideological uh, pretzel, uh, you know, twisting to to back that sort of thing coming down from the government. But I mean, people people no longer they've been taught by our culture and our government that they're not responsible for their lives. They're not responsible for feeding their children. They're not responsible for their own retirement nest egg. And so we have a populace that that believes what they've been taught. God, if there's one thing I'm going to hammer into my kids' heads, I already do, is uh, start contributing to your 401k. First job you get, I don't care how little you make, put something in there. Right, right. Pay yourself first. Get rid of that money. You'll never see it. You'll never think of it. But it will be growing like a weed until the coming hyperinflation wipes it out. Exactly. And it'll be worth nothing. (laughs) And you'll be pushing a wheelbarrow full of marks to buy a, a loaf of bread. Buy Dogecoin, son. Dogecoin. Trust me. <laughs> Everything you've got, pour it into that. Maybe next hour we'll get into, that'd be hour four, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, article in the Wall Street Journal, first example that Hispanics might be moving to the Republican Party. And that has been argued for years, that why isn't a, a, a group of people that tend to be more religious, more family-oriented, hardworking Part of the Republican Party. Well, there's one of the first big examples that that might actually be happening. And, man, you talk about upsetting politics. Holy cow. Oh, yeah, and Joe Manchin uh, made a stand over the weekend that got some attention, but he essentially declared, I'm not going around, uh, going along with the woke crowd. We're not ending the filibuster. We're not passing this crazy federal voting law. Uh, it seems like he found this spine. More on that to come. The FBI got a bunch of that ransomware money back. If you haven't heard that story, that's worth revisiting. This could change ransomware. We're getting attacked every single day all around the country. Well, if the bad guys can't keep their money, they aren't going to pull off these uh, heists, because what's the point? All the details on that on the way. Armstrong and Getty.